conversation that I had um, with Caleb when at about this stage, and um, I had picked up Caleb and Asher from a friend's house who often looked after the boys um, when we needed that, and uh, I picked them up and put them in their car seats. We're driving along, and Caleb says, Mama, what is shy? What is shy? And I said, you know, honey, you perhaps have never experienced what shy is. <laughs> and uh, someone during the day, one of the older kids in the home had at some point said during the day, I think Asher is feeling a little bit shy. And this had stuck with Caleb the whole day, and he was just burning to know what in the world is shy. He had absolutely no reference point, other than later I was able to kind of describe a little bit of what it feels like, and then, and I said, well, it's kind of how Asher maybe feels sometimes. And then he was like, and he just said that was the craziest, weirdest Child development experts say that until about the age five, most kids don't realize that other people are not always thinking and feeling the same way as them. Do you believe that? <laughs> Anybody parenting someone before this uh, stage? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if we're honest, um, and we have to admit it, wouldn't you say that it's hard for us, doesn't matter how old you are, to sometimes recognize that we are not always feeling and thinking the exact same thing as the person next to us. It's actually very difficult to grasp. Self-awareness is the ability to tune into your own feelings, your own thoughts and actions, but it's also about recognizing how you act affects other people. And, um, and this kind of development that's happening within each human being is actually happening throughout life, throughout our whole story, not just in childhood. Maturing or maturity is a rising awareness of both ourselves and awareness of others. And even more so, maturity is about understanding the impact our behavior has on other people. So are you with me so far? Maturity is about an awareness of the impact of our behavior on other people. So as a church, we have been walking through the book of Esther. Yay! And this week, we are going to be um, looking specifically in chapter 4. We're going to be witnessing a, a moment in Esther's development and a moment in Esther's maturing process. So, I wonder what God has for us this week. Now, um, if you are a junior disciple or sparkling wine. I'm wondering if you could just do something for us. Can you put down your papers and can you just go and look above where the coffee is? And 
can you read out loud what it says up there? Who's got it memorized? Do you remember the last part? Isaac. Mr. Yay. Thank you. 
not allowed 
if she was going to take action on this. If she's going to go talk to the king, he's going to find out who she truly is. Do you know that feeling, that moment where your identity is going to be exposed more? Who you truly are is going to be revealed, and that's not always comfortable. So it causes her discomfort, panic. And then secondly, Esther is frightened for her life. Have you ever found yourself in a social situation um, or work situation or school situation where the people around you have not known that you follow Jesus, but something is happening that it's it's now going to come out or, or you have that kind of moment and you know that moment where it's, you realize it's not going to be considered okay. In fact, I'm going to probably lose some credibility here, or, or maybe more. Do you know that feeling? This is a maturing moment for Esther. She's frightened for her life. She says to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law, that they be put to death. Unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was even called to go to the king. So the Greek historian of the this time period, Herodotus, Herodotus um, he confirms that this is the kind of rule that was in place, this don't speak until spoken to um, with the king. Um, and, and it kind of fits, you know, when you think about it, it fits with what we know of the Persian uh, you know, emperors, this sort of attitude that um, we don't want you to bring me information, Right? I'll ask for it. Especially, you know, don't tell me good, bad news, right? And so this sort of control over over what reality is. The emperor, the emperor thinks he can control what the reality is. And so she's in this situation where not only is there a law about not approaching the king without being asked, but Esther is not even sure that she's in the good books, you know, is she in the king's inner circle? Does he even think of her? Uh, she has not been called to see him for a full month. And she knows that he's not been sleeping alone all those nights, right? She knows that she was part of the harem for a full year. And so Esther recognizes that even though she has experienced some of these victories, right, she's become queen, she realizes that she's actually quite disposable. She, she doesn't have the kind of clout that you would think a queen would have. She knows what happened to Queen Vashti right before her. She knows that Queen Vashti did what the king didn't like, and she was gone. And so Esther is recognizing that she, even though um, she might 
have some way of saying something, she is not guaranteed any kind of sex success, even if she puts her neck on the line. And as foreign as these Persian laws kind of seem to us, I wonder if it's not that foreign of a situation. Haven't we all been in situations where we wonder, should I say something here? And even if I do say something, and I probably would get into trouble, or I would maybe be looked down upon if I did say it, but should I say something here? And and even if I did, would it make any difference? Would it matter? But the difference is that our life is usually not on the line. Bethany uh, Jenkins, a writer, she reflects, some of us are in positions of influence in our culture whatever that might be. Um, And we have to navigate questions of identity in complicated situations that might cost us. Does it matter whether anyone at work knows that I'm a Christian if my faith isn't directly related to my work? I'm seeking a job in an industry that's kind of anti-Christian in its bias. Do I refrain from putting church volunteer activities on my resume? Isn't being present in the company, even if it means engaging in some morally questionable activities, isn't that better than disabandoning it altogether? These kind of complex situations are actually quite real to us. It's a tricky place, and it's not very fun. There's a lot of tension and complexity kind of makes me think of this. But a place of tension and complexity sounds like the perfect environment for maturity to develop. And I know that that's perhaps kind of glib, right? Like, oh, you'll, you'll be a better person for it, right? And maybe, perhaps, it's easier to say afterwards, like, oh, I grew through that situation. But when was the last time that you or I were in a complex situation and maybe saw it as an opportunity to mature? Tim Keller, a writer and biblical scholar, he notes, Mordecai's call to action causes Esther to realize that she's not in the palace for herself, but for others. His call to action causes her to realize that she's not in the palace for herself, but for others. Our maturing process as people follow and live for God is not unlike the process of a maturing human child. We gradually become more aware of other people. We gradually realize that who we are influences others. It affects others. Matthew 22. Jesus declares what the core of following God is about. And he names, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
to Palace Harem. After being removed from her family, forced to hide who she is, after becoming queen and living with the constant tension of wondering what her position is with the king, Esther has had so much to deal with within herself. Do you ever feel like you're in that position? Where there is so much to deal with within, so much going on that you hardly can see past your own nose. It's complex. I, I have some mysterious, weird health things going on. It is extremely, you know, it, it takes all this energy. It's so absorbing. So whether it's, I don't know, or the, the work that you have to get done, or whether it's the puzzles you're trying to solve within yourself, or whether it's grieving or transition or making decisions, or whether it's just trying to deal with the, you know, the daily grind, the staying on top of it all, we tend to respond to the complexities and distress of life. We tend to respond to it by honing in, by, by kind of pulling in our focus. And so we, we pull our focus into ourselves or to what is closest to ourselves. It is, it is the natural kind of direction that our fallen humanity goes. We pull our focus in. But Mordecai gives Esther an amazing gift, an amazing challenge when he calls her to take action. Because he calls her to recognize that where she's at is for a larger person purpose. And her life is not just about her. That her life is about carrying out one piece of God's big story with God's people. Esther is not in the palace for herself, but for others. So when Esther's words were departed to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I know that in most contexts in the church at large, when you think of Esther, we all go for such a time as this. That's all that the story of Esther is about, right? This whole concept of, well, maybe you're here for such a time as this. Well, if we could just set aside that passing over and that obvious, you know, tendency, if we can, if we can sit with it for a moment, if we can sit inside it, I invite you to hear again this call, this call to a beloved daughter. Because Mordecai says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Before Mordecai says anything about the role that Esther is going to play, Mordecai affirms that God is going to do what he intends to do. Whether Esther says yes to this challenge or whether she says no to this maturing opportunity, God is sovereign. God has this. God is 
going to do, what he's going to do, he's going to accomplish his plan, kind of like we talked about last week, how repeatedly throughout the story of God, his people don't obey, and then they do, and then they don't obey, and yet God continues to give more chances, to give more opportunities. He invites his people to be part of the story over and over. He never stops giving chances for the people of God to be part of the redemption of the people of God. God never gives up. And he longs to use his children in this story. But he is never blocked by them. That's what, that's what Mordecai starts out with, right? It isn't about you. It's not all about you. It isn't like this growing maturity of realizing your influence in the world means that you become self-centered and self-important. Kind of like, boy, if I hadn't done that, God's plan just would have never happened. You know? Good for me. And neither does this kind of opportunity to be part of God's plan say that, um, you know, this maturity that God is doing in me, it means that I completely lose track of myself and that I give in to this belief that somehow I am the Messiah and that every other person's problem must be solved by me. Every issue that comes, you know, has to be solved by me and so that I, I lose complete track of myself. It doesn't mean either of those extremes. And I love how Mordecai before he says for such a time as this, before he calls her into action, he declares God is sovereign. God has this in hand. He is going to do it no matter what. And so Mordecai presents this particular opportunity, this, this privilege for Esther to enter in and to be part of the story. So, what is your opportunity, people of God? It's a good chance that it is not straightforward. It's a good chance that it's not simple. Like the Persian palace kind of prefers things. Maybe it's kind of like me and my experience of severe clinical depression in my 20s, which I can tell you was anything but clear, anything but pleasant, anything but, you know, straightforward. And yet, God uses it repeatedly over and over, these opportunities to walk with people in similar places. Maybe you've noticed opportunities in the past. Maybe you've said yes to these kinds of moments where you take a hold of the thread of God's story, and you hold on to it because God puts that before you. And maybe there's been times in your story where there's been opportunity and you've said no. Kind of like, I've said no. And I would say, that's part of this whole process. A maturing child does not, on one day, the day that they turn five at their birthday party, they do not start to then have complete awareness that everyone else has their own feelings and thoughts. No. Maturity takes a process. It's an ongoing work within. 
give you ourselves, Jesus. God does not give his people opportunities to hold the thread of his story and then kind of sit back and just watch them struggle with it. Like, oh, isn't that, you know, humorous? No. God came and put himself in our shoes. Jesus went to the cross, probably one of the most complex places to be. An unjust execution. He went to the cross knowing that he was here for such a time as this. And so this morning, as we come to the table, we remember, we come remember to celebrate, to receive, and to join into his story again, because there's something about the table that Jesus called us to participate in, that when we're at the table, the story spans all the way to the beginning of time and all the way into eternity. And so at the table, we, in this particular moment, we pick up the thread again. Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we 